Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right. Following in your footsteps yet again. <laughs> and our, my good friend, Mike Minkoff. Gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. We enter today as the number one seed. And number all one, is baby. great in the world. Number one in the Eastern Conference. Everything is sunshine and roses. Not true. Rob Williams, injury news. So we're recording this uh, Monday night as the Celtics are playing at Toronto. Uh, And earlier today, of course, you probably already know Rob Williams. The news comes out. He has a torn meniscus. It sounds like he will need surgery just based on the way the team is talking. Uh, There was a quote from Udoka that... Williams thinks he might be able to come back this season depending on when he needs surgery. So it sounds like he needs the surgery. Uh, But we're waiting on a timetable later in the week. Um, And Mike, let me just go to you because I know that you've done some thinking on what the impact is of this move. There's a lot of this this move, this this, uh, injury news. Obviously, we have been an amazing team in 2022. uh, And Rob Williams has been a really important part of that, especially on defense. He changes the way that we play. Um, so I know that you've looked at some lineup uh, information, Mike. And I'm just curious, what do you think about the impact that this is going to have? So I am going to answer your question. But before I do, can we just take a moment to appreciate that the Celtics are entering today as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference? And while the Rob Williams injury is a total bummer, like... This team is the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They were 16 and 19 in December. They were 23 and 24 in January. They're cur- they've gone 24 and 4 in their last 28 games, and it has just been absolute joy to watch, including their bludgeoning of the Minnesota Timberwolves on Sunday. Can we just just appreciate that just for a second? I'm still in shock. Like I, my jaw's on the floor. I still can't believe it that they've had this. Uh, I don't know of another turnaround that I've seen in literally any sport in my lifetime in season. And I tried to do some research on this and I found a lot of uh, articles about changes from the season before, but this is an in-season turnaround. This doesn't happen. They were what, the ninth seed in January? It's insane to me. Yeah, the greatest comebacks of all time are always about a particular game, right? Or the turnaround in record from one year to winning a championship the next. But yeah, there's not a whole lot of precedence when it comes to like, this should be considered one of the greatest comebacks, I think, in sports. And it's real. Yeah, and I do want to start with that because I think there's a couple of important things that have been foundational to the Celtics being as dominant and impressive as they have been over the last three months that are really relevant in the in light of Robert Williams' injury. So the first is that this team showed a tremendous amount of mental toughness, resilience, and resolve to deal with all of the negativity, all of the frustration, all of the disappointment in starting the season far below expectation, and refocusing, committing themselves to a team to the team concept, to the team principles and coming out and building and building into the kind of steamrolling juggernaut that they've been of late. So they've shown the mental toughness and resolve a team needs to overcome this type of 
a really disappointing injury. The second is that Robert Williams is unquestionably incredibly valuable in terms of what the Celtics have been doing. You know, Zach Lowe wrote about and has been well chronicled by a number of people in the media and podcasters and whatever. You know, Rob Williams playing kind of on the weak, weak side wing and being able to kind of come over and rotate and create you know, havoc for people driving to the rim or, or guys like Jokic, he comes in off ball and double teams Jokic and, and makes his life way harder. We're clearly going to lose out on that on defense, on offense. We're going to lose out on all that Rob brings as a passer. And of course, as a vertical threat in the lob. All of that said, the success of the team has been about so much more than just Rob William. It's about the fact that we're basically impenetrable on the perimeter. Um, there was a great Celtics blog article about that earlier today on Monday. Um, we have you know Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum as our primary lines of defense on the perimeter. Grant Williams has been exceptional as a, a perimeter defender this year, certainly relative to years past. Al Horford can stand up out there. Daniel Tice is effective out there. Peyton Pritchard is becoming a defensive bulldog. Um, So despite the fact that, you know, we are hurt as a team by Rob Williams being injured, there's a reason he was playing a prominent role. There's a lot more to what's been driving our success than just Rob Williams. So, and to me, when we're looking at this Rob Williams injury, it's a bummer. It capital S-U-C-K-S sucks. Like, but... And because everyone loves Rob, he's really fun to root for. He seems like kind of this unspoken glue guy on the team that helped forge the chemistry um, of the of the team. Just like everybody on the team loves him, and he just like keeps things kind of light and easy and fresh while still being focused and intense. We, you know, at the end of the day, this has been like a true like eight nine man pull to excellence. And everybody is bringing stuff. And we have, we made some like, you know, the sneaky important acquisition of Daniel Tice, who not so long ago was a starting center of an elite D on an elite defense that went to the Eastern conference finals. And that team had Kemba Walker playing 30 minutes a night. So um, I think we can stop gap this. And I don't, I think our ceiling takes a slight hit, but like, Al Horford, Daniel Tice minutes have been really, really effective, albeit in a small sample size this season. Daniel Tice, um, Grant Williams minutes have been really, really effective, albeit in a small sample size um, so far this season. Like, and the rest of our defense remains as in annoying, impenetrable, um, obstinate as it, it has been, whether or not Rob Williams is behind us. So to me, while this is a total bummer, I still am pretty bullish on on what the Celtics can do, especially in the early rounds of the playoffs. Do you guys think I'm crazy? Josh, what do you think? No, I don't think you're crazy at all. I do think you're over inflating the idea that like, I like, I like um, Grant Williams when he comes in Pritchard too defensively, I think is okay. Once Tice comes in, he starts to be our, our weak link. Maybe you could put Pritchard in that category too. Um, and so we had this kind of seven man, well, either seven or eight man group when you have Grant Williams coming in off the bench. Um, but we do drop off beyond that. Tice is not the same guy he was two, three years ago. 
here, you know, at only 28 years old, he's, he's kind of showing some, showing some signs of slowing down a little bit. Um, he's still a perfect fit for our system, knows it and is positionally sound, but he's just not, he's not impenetrable. I think like you're saying. And so that's where the weak links start to come in when you have to play Tice more than five to eight minutes a game, which we do right now. And when you have to start looking at who else is down the line in the center rotation, I think that does become an issue. Are you crazy when you're saying that we we may take a slight hit, but we're still going to have the same chances in the playoffs? I agree, actually. Um, because we're rolling so much, our togetherness is so good. Like I do think it's it's something we can keep going with. What do you think, Adam? I think it's not like we're going to keep going without missing a beat here. I, Tice is a great fill-in. It's nice to have him just because he knows the system, knows the player as well. But I agree with Josh. I think it's he's definitely a step down. Um, Rob Williams just provides a completely different dimension. I said this last year. When he's on, he makes us a completely different team. And he has been on all season. And I think it's a huge deal that that we are going to miss him for the rest of the season. Uh, the regular season, uh, probably the beginning of the playoffs at in a best-case scenario. Um, and to miss him for the entire playoffs is a huge deal. Uh, part of it is that it gives us a different dimension against teams that we would have. We are going to have trouble matching up against otherwise, whether it's the way that Rob Williams guards on the perimeter and closeouts. He's number one in the league, whether it's how he matches up against athletic big men, um, the him as a roamer and allowing Al Horford and, and Grant Williams to play man up against a Joe Kick or another player like that, like Embiid, it changes the way we play Embiid. Uh, and so, and, and just bringing Tyson, like it's, he's different. It's different. Um, it's not horrible. It's not horrible. The sky is not falling. Right. When, when you said about Embiid, if we play Embiid, this is a big deal. <laughs> if we're not playing Embiid, I agree with you, Mike. Yeah. I mean, Look, I mean, Embiid's going to be tough to cover whether we have Rob on the court. Obviously, Rob is helpful. Like, I'm not arguing that. I just, and no, I think we're all saying the same thing. There's not, there's not an argument here. Yeah. I, I think we, I think we all love what Rob Williams has brought to the team. We all think he's kind of a monster. He's the most exciting player to watch on the team. I think is that fair to say? Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. Uh, he's certainly like top two, right? It's like, <laughs> he's, he's very exciting to watch and um, it's a bummer, but you know, I, I did pull some kind of information and, you know, individual net rating. I've used this in the past. It's not like it's a, what it really says is that how effective is the team on the court when this player is on the court, right? It does. So it's not all about the individual. But it, it is indicative of whether the individual can be part of lineups that thrive or not. Um, in March, Tatum let, has led the NBA in net rating, uh, in individual net rating. So, you know, offensive efficiency uh, or points scored per 100, uh, per 100 possessions relative to points given up per 100 possessions. So Tatum has led the NBA in net rating in March at plus 23.5 for all players that played at least nine games and at least 25 minutes. Rob was number two in the NBA in March at plus 20.5 with those same caveats. So nine games, nine or more games played 25 or more minutes per game. 
Um, but was what was interesting to me is Tice, actually, if you get rid of kind of those caveats, Tice led the Celtics in net rating in March at plus 24.2 in about 14 minutes per game. Now, the I do not believe that Tice, if you ramp up his minutes to like 20 or 25 minutes a game, is going to maintain that same efficiency. Tice, you know, the war on Tice, as it were, as far as him getting all of the fouls, is very real. I think Bobby Manning tweeted out earlier on Monday that uh, Tice's like fouls per 36 minutes is 6.7 fouls per game. (laughs) Just like his foul rate is still insanely high, right? So like, but but the point really is like we have been very effective with Tice on the court this month. I think Josh, I, I agree Tice hasn't looked quite as effective as he was in his last season with the Celtics, but I do think part of that at least is a result of him adjusting to Udoka's system, which is which does have notable differences to uh, Stevens. And we've seen, you know, we saw most of the team t- took some time to kind of learn it and really get uh, super fluid with it. I think Tice has been coming on in the last couple of weeks and playing to me to my eye detectably better so you know if we're talking about and and rob has been playing about 30 minutes a game so if we're kind of talking about spreading that out across probably tice and grant getting maybe 10-ish minutes a game more five to ten minutes a game more um horford getting a few minutes a game more and then probably playing small more like we're going to lose some for sure but we're we're still, I think, going to perform at a really high level as a team. Based on how the teams have been performing, yeah, I mean, we've been blowing out good teams now. So we come down a notch. You're still winning these games, ideally. Uh, but I, you know, just looking at the teams that we might play and the big men that they have, it would be an issue against Miami with Bam Adebayo. It would be an issue against Milwaukee with um, Giannis, but also with uh, Brooke Lopez coming back. Um, Toronto, it would be an issue against them, Cleveland. And then depending on if we were to make it far enough, a couple teams in the West, Memphis, Golden State, uh, I think it would be, uh, he, you lose something with him. So I have a question for you guys and maybe Adam, uh, I know you like to, to play a doctor the most, you know, what are you feeling about this injury? Do you, do you feel like we're going to see Rob come back. Do you, do you want to, do you want to break it down based on what I'm sure has been extensive research by you over the afternoon, looking into the implications (laughs) of this meniscus tear? (laughs) Having no medical knowledge whatsoever. No, I, I I don't, I have no idea in this situation. Josh asked us over text. He said, uh, I think Rob will be back in the playoffs or he said, I bet Rob will be back in the playoffs. And he want to take me up on that. And I thought about it. And the answer is no, I just like, this situation, it's it's anywhere from six weeks to three months. So, and we just have no idea. It depends on the severity of the injury. I'm not looking at MRIs. There's no way that I could. And Adrian, Adrian Wojnarowski uh, said on ESPN earlier that it, depending on the kind of surgical route or the, the treatment route that Williams picks, it could be like four to six weeks or rest of season. So four to six weeks. So six weeks brings us to May 9th. April is April 9th, I believe, is the last day of the regular season. Then we have the play-in tournament, and then the playoffs begin April 16th. Conference finals, conference finals would be May 15th to May 18th that they would start. So best, you know, in a good case scenario, he's back. He misses maybe a round and a half. Um, 
but he's back for the conference, the conference finals. finals. Yeah. But that's a good, that's a pretty much best case scenario. And, and we don't know what kind of shape he's in, you know, how that knee is holding up at that point too. Uh, but this is a good time for me to say that, and I've been waiting all season to say this. So Rob Williams has obviously had a great season. I was completely wrong about his contract. When they signed his contract, I came on this podcast and I said, are we sure that that's the right move here? This is a guy that can't stay on the court isn't and isn't playing enough minutes. When he's on the court, he's amazing, but he's get, he gets injured a lot. And his, he was, I think it was like 20 minutes, was maybe 18 minutes a game was the most that he had played in a season. Well, he's playing almost 30 minutes a game. He's played, what, 63 games. He's been relatively healthy this year. Uh, and so he really stepped up his ability to, as Josh likes to say, have the best ability availability. Uh, and I was wrong about that number. Um, so Rob, nice work this year, proving me wrong, even with this injury, it still doesn't change my mind about that. And I had, I had said on a previous podcast a few weeks ago, I was like, I'm kind of treating this like a no hitter. I don't want to talk about it. When you said now is a good time for me to say, I was convinced that you were going to say, I told you so, it was a bad contract. So I'm proud of you, Adam. I'm happy. I'm happy uh, to hear what, what you actually said. That was No, because he fixed comforting. one of the two issues. He, he can actually, he still, you know, he, he still gets injured too much, but when he plays, he's actually to play, he's able to play real minutes. Yeah, speaking, speaking of real, the real way to do this, Adam, the real way to apologize for that would not have been to bring it up and give your apology the day he gets injured and is it's out for several weeks. <laughs> it's just like appreciate the apology, but you are a little suspect. Why? <laughs> because Why? of all the times you don't think it's a little coincidental that this is the time you decide to bring up the fact that you you were wrong. We all we all the times. I think people. this is the best time. Yeah. Honestly, like he could miss the rest of the year, and that is going to impact our playoff chances. Like we we should be a favorite. We I looked at five thirty eight, Mike. You keep talking about five thirty eight's metrics. I think they're a little overblown, but they had us as a fifty percent chance to make the finals yesterday, and a thirty four percent chance to win the finals. Okay. It was yesterday or this morning. It was before the before the Rob Williams news. I'm, I'm so looking. Like, yeah, I'm looking right here. now. I'm looking right now. Updated at three fifty three p.m. On March are you looking 28th. at the lineups? Do they are they including Rob? Uh, this is um, I'll I'll tell Double you in a second. That. Chance of making the finals forty eight percent. Chance of winning the finals thirty three percent. This includes Still. let's see current rotation. This has Rob's at zero. Okay, so I mean zero that's didn't go down much, and that shocks me because I think without Rob Williams, we're not the same contender. But that does have assume he's back for the playoffs. So. It does assume. Okay, that. well. Yeah. Yeah, let, regardless. Let's take a look. Regardless, at, wait. Let's before, take a look at the rotation. Before you dive can, can we, into the rotation, can I just hit one final thought on Rob Williams about his injury? Um, I just want to say, like, me personally, I would be, I would far prefer Rob not come back for the playoffs if there's like even the slightest chance that him coming back would, like increase detectably increase his risk of a serious knee injury he's had mm -hmm. the knee tendinopathy now he ha he has this meniscus like he is really important to kind of ha the heights of this core can reach i don't want him like 
I'm, I'm hoping he can come back in six weeks in a way that's like very, very, very pretty much negligible risk. Um, but if there is a risk or like a, a detectable risk there, I, I certainly hope he doesn't try to push it and rush back. Do you guys agree with that stance or, or would you be comfortable with a little more risk there? I agree. And it makes me, it's hard because as a player, you want to get back. If, if this team has a shot at a championship, that's a big deal. It makes me think of Wick Grosbeck's recent comments that he told at the beginning of the year, he told Ime Odoka and Brad Stevens that his goal is, is another ring, but he sees this season as a bit of a transitional year. He's like, you know, you're a first time head coach, first time for Brad. And, and, and we've got these guys, we've got this core locked up for three, four more years. Uh, and so he really sees this as he's like, I want to do whatever we can to win a championship in that timetable, but it's not this year. It's over the next four or so. And hopefully those guys resign. And, and, and I think he, he feels relatively good about that as good as you can feel at this point about it. So I think he would, I believe that he, those comments align with what you're saying, Mike, Josh. I'm ready to look down the line at the bench here. So if Rob's not in, obviously you're starting Grant Williams and Horford, uh, ideally. And and then, who you know, obviously Tice comes in after that. Um, I'm looking at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as people who are going to have to play a lot more for and, and for us to play small ball with a Grant Williams or a Horford by themselves a little bit. Um, but when you go down the line past those guys – I have a question for you. Gun to your head. Do you choose Cornette or Hauser if you need to play some other guys' minutes at the five? You want, I'm sorry, you want Hauser at I the five? I want to know if you have to play Hauser at the five or Cornette at the five in a small ball lineup with Brown, Tatum, Smart, you know, when White, I, you know, like for example. And you have to put in another five because everyone else is in foul trouble. Could you could you, you could you elaborate on the set of circumstances that would have to occur before <laughs> you're forced to make that choice? Because it would be okay. very far. Let down me answer the my own me. question. Because I would neither of question. them would be anywhere close to my rotation in the playoffs, barring Shut. serious foul trouble for like my yeah. I don't know like Grant Williams, Tice, Horford. And like, I would, I would play like a center, like a lineup where Tatum is the center or Brown is the center before I started thinking about Cornette or Hauser. And I, and I'd contemplate like Fitz, like I'd be like, can Fitz play? Cause he's got yep. a bigger body. Like, but if, if we're, yes, I would definitely could put Brown or Jalen or Jason at center before Cornette, bringing in Cornette for that in a playoff Serious, absolutely, because then you could do like Tatum, Brown, Smart, White, and Pritchard, which I would do. Okay, so change change my question to to the rest of the year before the playoffs. It depends who we're playing against. On, on, we have several games left. When you first asked the question, I thought that's crazy. Uh, Cornette is an actual center, and Hauser is a small forward. But uh, I act. It's not. It's not. You know, Hauser's a a good enough three point shooter that. Once I actually thought about it, I was like, ah, that's interesting. But I, I still say Cornette. It depends on who you're playing against. If you're playing against a real center, you need Cornette in there, not Hauser. Um, Cornette's actually a plus defender, and I think it's mostly due to his length. And he can stretch the floor on offense. So it's not the worst yeah. situation as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I, you don't want it, and it's not going to happen in the playoffs, but that's the answer. I, I actually like Cornette, uh, but I think that Hauser's three-point shot 
is almost as automatic as Pritchard's is right now. And Pritchard's shooting 70% or something in the, over the last four games. Um, I think that actually throwing Hauser in there as a six, eight guy who's big enough to box out another center on the end of the other end of the floor, he's someone you really have to pay attention to. Um, and to me, I think that that is a potential uh, spark off the bench. If, if we need to, before the playoffs begin in these last few games, um, I'm actually curious if we should be resting Horford even more. Obviously he's, he didn't, didn't play in the last two games. Um, but maybe this is the time that we were planning on resting Horford and now with Rob Williams out, that this is not the time necessarily to stress Horford more. Maybe it's the time to rest him even more and to be actually be looking down the bench more. So to to kind of respond to that and answer the, the initial question you presented, Josh, I mean, I think what, to me, what's essential for the team over the next, there's what, like three weeks left in the season, right? Or two and a half, basically. Um, this team has forged a very clear identity and that identity identity is predicated on being elite defensively. Um, I would focus all of my choices on ensuring that the mindset of the players as individuals and the team as a whole retains that identity, even with the loss of Williams. So I would be worried about playing Hauser at center. I agree with you about his three-point shooting and, and the threat he presents on the offensive side of the ball, but he's not going to deter anyone inside, right? Like defensively, I think yeah. that's safe to say. You go I, at him. So I would pick Cornette over him if I had to choose, but I, you know, if I'm Ime, I'm, I'm putting as many games as I reasonably can on the calendar where I'm running my tight eight-man rotation, which is just, Horford, Grant, and and Tice as the bigs. You got Tatum, you got Jalen, you got Derek White, you've got Marcus Smart, and you've got Pritchard, and that's it. You're just running that deep, and I want that rotation to be intact and to be playing elite basketball the way we have been as much as I can. So, you know, Does if we're Smith if we're track that for you, I, I mean, he played against the Timberwolves. He got some minutes there. Yeah. He he had some good moments. Um, I liked that Ime was playing him. I'd I'd let yeah, I'd put Neesmith. I'd give him some opportunity to see what he can show. Um, and I'd be thrilled if if I felt comfortable with him as part of the a nine now nine man rotation in the playoffs. Um, and I'd certainly give him opportunity ahead of Hauser and Cornette. Um, but if there's foul trouble, you know, for, let's say for Tice or Williams, um, who are the most likely, I would say, to run into foul trouble, I'd go Cornette over Hauser because I'd be focused. I'd be focusing on maximizing the defensive identity of the team. Hauser and Cornette are both getting run in the game against Toronto. Uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum not playing in this game. I believe that's a rest game for both of them. So Ime Odoka taking a very Spursian approach to resting players saying, all right, let's just rest everybody at once. And if we take the loss, we take the loss. Neath Smith starting today. So interesting look at, at the rotations um, with with rest. To, and and I, I think we'll see more of this kind of a thing towards the end of the season. The one thing that this Rob Williams injury does create is a clear path for Grant Williams to get as many minutes and create whatever role he wants for himself um, for the rest of the year. I think that, that that this is kind of like a big deal for any Grant Williams fans. Um, and I wanted to kind of touch on his performance of late, talk about his uh, ability to defend lots of different people. You know, the, the Batman nickname for how he locked up 
Jokic, I think, is is kind of a cool thing. The way he's just ta- jawing with the refs and complaining and having, you know, like throughout the – he he's difficult to officiate. His size and his willingness to stand in there and take elbows from guys who are twice his size, it's really hard to officiate for the refs. And, like, he's not, like, one of those guys who will, like, take an elbow on the chin – and then never want to put his face in there again. Like he's like Marcus Smart, where he knows that that's if he can sacrifice his face for a call, like that's winning basketball, and he's going to do that ten times out of ten. Like that's tough to officiate. Um, and I, I just think that he's he's really pushing the boundaries of what he can say to the refs and how much he can act like a star. To be honest, like when it comes to that part of the game, um, and I think. He he's he's really poking and prodding at the refs right now and testing them. Um, I would be surprised to see a couple texts for him at the end of the year here because he's really pushing the envelope there. And I like the fact that he's doing that. I think that he's he's kind of helping his his role expand here by seeing what he can get away with, both like as a defender, as someone talking to the refs, and now with Horford and Williams out, he's a guy who's stepping up and. Going to have any small ball five minutes. Going to have a lot of four minutes next to Tice. Um, and, and I think that he's a key guy who's kind of being thrust into the forefront here uh, as as far as like the Celtics roster is concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Grant Williams has played very impressively over the course of the year. Uh, I, I agree. He's got kind of a – he plays with a, a chip and an edginess that's, that's analogous to Marcus Smart, and he, he can certainly guard guys a lot bigger than him just because of his strength and grittiness. Um, one thing I'm, I'm going to be interested to watch over the next couple of weeks is for whatever reason, um, the Al Horford, Grant Williams, Jalen, Jason, Marcus Smart lineup has been pretty bad uh, so far this season. Um, I think they've played something like 120 or so minutes together. Um, and it's got like a minus, a, a minus 10 net rating. Like it's been, it's been beat pretty solidly. Um, neither Grant nor Horford are particularly strong rebounders. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's part of it. If they kind of fill a similar lane as being kind of like the, the cerebral guys that can help kind of orchestrate a defense from, from the back, but don't bring any high end athleticism over the top so much. Um, that they can surprise you every once in a while. Uh, but I, but the numbers suggest that, you know, that the Grant Tice pairing and the, the Horford Tice pairing are both more effective, uh, albeit in smaller sample size so far this season. So it will be interesting uh, to see kind of how, how that evolves. With uh, I agree, Grant getting a deserved increased opportunity um, over the remainder of the season, uh, certainly the regular season. And offensively, our team is going to be impacted too by uh, no more lob threat, no more lob Williams out there to throw the ball up to. And so the game becomes a little more two-dimensional. So I'm curious to see how our three-point shooting can keep us moving in the direction we've been going in. Um, because, you know, this three-dimensional game is a lot more fun to play as we've seen. And it's a lot easier when you have someone you could just throw it up and he'll go get it. And I don't trust Tyson. I don't think the players trust Tice, you know, when throwing lobs to him. Obviously, same with Grant Williams. You're not throwing it too high for him. So uh, I, I'm curious to see how that goes over the next week or two as well. 
Jalen Brown loves throwing Rob's Rob's lobs to Rob. And one of the silver linings that I would hope comes out of this is that Jalen Brown learns how to pass to other players on this team because he's not passing enough in the system. Um, he's not finding guys, you know, we talked about Tatum's um, rise as a passer. Brown has not shown nearly the same level. Um, not that we should expect him to, but just Rob's uh, passing in general, I think needs to come up a notch. And I'm hoping that by not having Rob on the floor, that he'll have to look at other players more. And Josh, to your point about lobs to Tice, Tice is a, he's a good lob uh, catcher and, and finisher. He's n- not Rob Williams, but nobody else in the league is. So the idea that players are like, oh, I can't throw it the same way to, to Tice. Yeah, adjust to it. You, you have a unique guy in Rob Williams. No, but there's, you know, there's a dozen other guys in the league who can catch lobs like Rob Williams. There's, when you're talking about Tice, he's like, no one else is like Rob. And so Tice is great. Tice isn't even what he was three years ago in terms of catching lobs. Like he's, his athleticism has slowed. Um, his leaping ability has decreased. So, and you can see it when the guys throw it to him, like there's not always uh, trust there. Yeah. I'm not sure how much of that is sort of rust and rhythm uh, or whether he's not in the same kind of shape that he was in before, but he he was not playing in Houston this year. And he's been ha- like, so I'm, I'm wondering whether some of that is going to come back as he continues to get more run and more familiar here with Odoka system, which is slightly different than Brad. And with Rob Williams out, Jason Tatum becomes our most important rebounder. Um, the fact that Horford and other, other bigs aren't elite at that makes it more important for Tatum to continue to do what he's done all year in all career, really, which is average seven to nine rebounds a game. Mike, you were referencing Al Horford. You had a question about him, I know. I I did. So this this seems as good a time as any. Um, there's been, uh, we have had, the three of us, kind of in background, uh, some chatter ever since the offseason uh, where we were weighing the relative merits of Brad Stevens' decision to trade Kemba Walker and this what became the 16th pick or we knew to be the 16th pick in the first round um, for Al Horford and I was very excited about that trade at the time um, I think you both were excited to to transition from Horford or to Horford from Walker um, but uh, were maybe had different perceptions on on whether it was worth giving up the first round pick um, I've actually been like sitting on a take that I I have been was was contemplating, but now with Rob's injury, I think I I feel pretty comfortable asserting it. Uh, that Al Horford is going might be the second most important player on the team in the playoffs for us to have success. So to me, the you know the question of whether it was worth making the trade to Al, for Al Horford Horford is not in question. Like, I think that was a no brainer, great decision by Brad, very worth giving up on the pick that became Alperin Sangoon, even though he looks good uh, because the Celtics are smack dab in the middle of a title window now. And Al Horford's a big piece of that. And I think the reason I think Al Horford might be the second most uh, important player on our team is because he's one of the best defenders in the league against um, Embiid, he's one of the best defenders in the league against Giannis, and if he's hitting threes, which he's been doing at an increased rate uh, recently, he can stretch uh, the D when when we're on offense, 
um, and create and, and open up space while while being kind of a, a linchpin defender. He has like the best defensive LeBron rating, which is an advanced stat that I'll be honest, I don't fully understand, but he's number one in the NBA ahead of Rudy Gobert, who's number two, and Draymond Green, who's number three. Um, so Al Horford has been uh, an essential part of the Celtics doing what they've been doing this year. Um, and the question to you guys is, do you feel like he was worth the price of acquisition? To me, that depends on, I mean, it's like, we'll see what Sengun looks like in his career. I mean, I, sorry that I'm saying it's going to take years to figure this out, but I think we'll know a lot more at the end of the season. I mean, if the Celtics win a championship, you got to say yes to that. If the Celtics go to the Eastern Conference Finals, I think you have a good case for it. If the Celtics lose in the first round and and Horford is less much less impactful next year, I still think that we you got to say no. Can I ask you can I ask you just two two questions related yeah. to what you just said? So, do you think the Celtics would have been able to turn the season around without Al Horford? No. Do you think but that the but that Celtics? Mean that wait, you can let, let me. That's my second question. No, no, no. I'm not. Well, you can't. Yeah, I'm not you saying can't, you are. You can't say it saying. exclusively because of him. Obviously, it's not. But, but I do. This doesn't think, happen with Kemba Walker on the team and no Horford. Yeah, and then the so the second question is like to to me what I see with this team is a team that has no doubt now about whether as constructed with its kind of core four guys of Tatum, Jalen, Smart, and Rob, whether that is a championship caliber core, right? I think that's that's a, a deeply embedded belief in this team after the last three months. And I think having Horford this year enabled them to reach that. I think it's very possible that this team could have floundered and gone the other way without someone as solid and stabilizing as Horford is helping, helping them kind of build into what they've become. And I think if we had floundered, I think it's possible this team could have dissolved in a year and a half. Like I was worrying about earlier this season when Jalen started, you know, became eligible or to when, when we had to really think about the timeline of Jalen's next contract. So I, I don't know if you agree with, any or all of those assumptions or, or kind of postulations. But if you do, then the question is like, how much does that count in the calculus here of whether the trade was worth it? Even if we don't make the Eastern conference finals this year. You're making good points. I think it's worth a lot. Um, what we don't know is what's the value of Sengun on this team. So it's not about like, Oh, Kemba wouldn't be providing much. I'm imagining Kemba's coming off the bench. What does Sengun provide on this team? Well, it doesn't. We we don't necessarily have Sengun on our team. You know, Trey Murphy was picked next. He's finally showing up for the Pelicans as a four man who can stretch the floor and knock down threes. We saw Trey Man do do us dirty with the Thunder a few games ago. Um, Jalen Johnson is a good pick. Isaiah Jackson's playing really well for um, the Pacers. Uh, you know, kind of uh, Rob Williams type six nine center, real real bouncy athlete. So, you know, it's, but I think Mike, to to all of your points, we, the turnaround in this team to make us championship contenders does not happen with Kemba Walker. And it does happen with Al Horford. 
does that mean Horford is the second most important player on the team in the playoffs? Not necessarily. I think I would argue Jalen Brown is and Marcus Smart after him. Um, Me too. And whether Rob Williams comes back after that. So, but like, yeah, Horford, like you, you win all these games. You cannot say that that trade was not worth it, that it wasn't worth it to give up that 16th pick first round pick. And look what's happened with the record of the team. Like no one is arguing that anymore. I don't think. Uh, at least people within the organization, like the winning answers that question for you. I think so. Uh, just to clarify one thing on, on Horford's value in the playoffs, I think the value comes from not, not it's not related to the regular season so much. It's it, just, if you remember our, when, when Horford was on the team and we made those runs to the Eastern conference finals, he was so instrumental. Like everyone talks about how like Tatum and Brown led that team. But Horford was on the team too, and what he what he allows both on defense and offense, the way he open he he can be put on an Embiid, be put on a Giannis, and be viable one on one, even if he doesn't like totally shut them down. He doesn't mean it, it enables the defense not to t- completely contort itself in a way that can be taken e- easily taken advantage of, and then on offense. He's such a good passer. He's such a good spacer. He knows how to move with the ball and he can shoot from outside with enough consistency to get the defense to respect him. And he steps up and makes big shots in big games, or at least he has historically for us. Like, I think, I think the way that he will present in the key matchups for us in the playoffs, particularly Milwaukee and Philly is what, in my mind, elevates his importance. Now, whether he's actually the second uh, most important player, or I'm saying that kind of for effect, sure. But but I do think I I think his importance does heighten in the playoffs. As far as kind of you know, I I think when we're talking about what would we get out of you know you Isaiah Jackson or um. Sengun if we had him or Trey Mann, it's like they've had they have like sporadic good games as rookies, but they're not going to contribute to high level winning as rookies in all likelihood, right? Like only Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley are doing that this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't have a top four pick. Like our best case scenario is that those guys in year two, three, maybe year two, probably year three or four, are able to be kind of key key players in a, in a really competitive winning team. And so t- given the timelines, especially that Tatum and Brown are on with their contracts, with their age, I think, I think getting this type of cal- this caliber player now was well worth the, ki- the, the cost of giving up that first round pick. All right. It's time for our Tatum gush fest segment where we give props to Jason Tatum for all that he's done. Um, do you guys have a stat or you want me to go first with mine? Go for it. So uh, John Schumann from NBA.com. I really like his articles. He's got some really good stats in there. Um, some really good stuff about how the Celtics have performed offensively since the All-Star break, if you haven't heard enough of that. Um, but one of the things that he mentioned is that Tatum is averaging 32 points per game on 51-44-90 shooting since the break. Um the Celtics have scored 16.7 more points per 100 possessions with him on the floor than they have with him off the floor in those 14 games. So um, to me, anytime you could talk about a guy being 50, 40, 90, that's super impressive. And yeah, I just keep thinking back to 
four or five weeks ago now on this podcast, Adam, when you said that all we needed was a Jason T- was Jason Tatum to get hot and everything could change for this team, and that's literally what happened. He's, he tends to do this uh, every year. At every the end spring, of the year. yeah. Yeah, and he he made a comment in a post-game press conference recently saying, yeah, if I could have do this from the beginning of the year, I'd be the MVP. I think he's right. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, I, again, I made my plea, what, like three or four weeks ago at this point, even before some of this hot stretch, I thought he was playing his way into the, you know, top five MVP. I think, I think he's no brainer. Number four. Um, he leads the NBA in plus minus on the season. He, or net rating, sorry, on the season. He's, uh, as I said, he leads the NBA kind of decisively for net rating in March individually. He's against Minnesota. Um, people were kind of, distraught about rob understandably so but tatum had like a plus 34 net rating like when he's been on the court of late we are annihilating teams josh you mentioned peyton pritchard is shooting like 70 percent from three over the past whatever however many games over the past handful of games um the reason for that is because he's getting miles of space for a shooter as good as he is playing off of jason tatum um tatum and and the main reason and i intentionally saved it for this uh segment the main reason i'm not too worried they're not oh you know i don't feel like the the sky is totally falling with rob williams being injured is because the celtics ceiling is ultimately tied to jason tatum and and tatum is capable of playing as a top you know top five player in the league independent of whether we have rob and the way he's playing on offense and opening up the game for everyone if he can sustain this level that's going to sustain our offense and he's been completely active and engaged and really impactful on defense you know i think our defense will take a, a bit of a hit without rob but we have so many other good defenders that I don't think it's not like it's going to just fall apart. So Tatum has been amazing. Um, I think he's been the fourth best player in the league this year uh, behind Embiid and Jokic and, and Giannis. Wow. Eastern conference player of the week, three weeks in a row, right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. If he doesn't take it for March, I'd be shocked. He, he's second, second in the league in scoring this month behind only uh, LeBron. He's averaging like 33.7 points. Uh, a game for the month on on good shooting splits on like 50 40 90 he's just been he's been a monster so thank you tatum we love you (laughs) yep do you guys think that the resting of tatum and brown was something that was planned because we knew that we were playing miami the following game uh coming up tomorrow here i think it's possible given that it was it was we were like home or we had three games off then we had or three days off. Then we had the game against Minnesota in Boston. Then we had like a quick trip to Toronto. And then I think we're back in Boston for Miami, right? Yeah, on Wednesday. So so I so I have a feeling it was like, Yeah, sure. Why don't you guys just stay in Boston for a week, freshen up ahead of like the, the final push for the playoffs? I was actually a little surprised that Smart made the trip to Toronto. I was more surprised by that than Jalen and Jason getting the night off. Why? Just because I would have given Smart the same treatment and let him rest as well. Do we know for sure that it's not related to vaccination status? No, but I don't want to speculate. Yeah. 
So we got that big game against Miami coming up. What el- what else is on the horizon here? Playing Indiana on Friday and then Washington on Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. Eastern time game. I'm What I'm looking out he- for here is um, how Emi Odoka handles rest, how he handles the standings. There's been a lot of speculation by Boston media members that Udoka is like totally fine dodging Brooklyn, dodging the number two seed to try and avoid Brooklyn. And he's come out and said, no, we, we're trying to win every game. I mean, obviously that's what he would say, but it's, I'm curious to see how the standings play out here, uh, specifically games against Miami, um, games against uh, Chicago, Milwaukee, and Memphis at the end of the year. Those last three, back to back to back. Um, well, the Pacers and Wizards are three and seven in their last ten at the time of this recording. Wizards are on the upswing of that, having won two in a row. <laughs> Pacers have lost three in a row. Uh, and we are recording Monday night. So, trap games, I think, right there. Uh, anytime you play, you're on a winning streak or playing really well, and then you've got a couple of really bad games, uh, that's when players can relax a little too much. I was thinking about this, like, and I'm not sure if you guys want to talk again about this, but the the whether the Celtics should dodge Brooklyn or not. I mean, Brooklyn is the number nine seed right now, or they're, they're tied for number eight. Um, and if they are in the eighth or seventh seed, they just need to win one game to get into the seventh seed. If they're uh, in the ninth or tenth seed, as they are now, so th- that battle with Charlotte, we'll see what happens there and, and Atlanta. Um, but if Brooklyn ends up likely like one win away from the seventh seed, would you guys try and avoid the number two spot for them? No. And Adam, because you keep bringing it up, it, you're basically just going to manifest that we will get the number one seed and we will play a Brooklyn in the first round of the playoffs. I'm predicting that that will happen um, just because you keep talking about it. Like I, I'm not that afraid of it. Yeah, I don't. I don't believe in jockeying uh, to avoid opponents. I think. I think the Celtics should approach the season like they're the best team in the East because I believe they are, um, and they should let the let the try to win every game they can, play the best they can. They should make sure their players are healthy, um, and so if they need to rest guys for that reason, that's fine. But not not because they're trying to like game the standings. Um, and if they end up, I mean, it, it, you, they literally cannot know how the, they could, they could try to jockey for a second and then Brooklyn could lose uh, the seven, eight game and win the eight, you know, eight, nine game or whatever it is and end up the eight seed, right? Like that right now, Brooklyn's a nine seed. They can only end up, they can't end up better than the eight seed. So it's very possible the Celtics won't even know how the standings are going to shape up all the way through the end of the season. They should just focus on making sure they're, they're right from a health perspective and from a, a mindset perspective and playing the best ball they possibly can. That, if I were, if I were their coach, that's all I would focus on. And if we end up playing Brooklyn, it's, it's, you know, great storylines. Draymond Green came out on his podcast somewhat recently talking about how, Kevin Durant basically during the USA team stuff was like, this guy's next to Tatum. And, yeah. you know, there's like a passing of the torch that at least is conscious between KD and Jason Tatum. And uh, I think Tatum is ready to, to have his number. Um, 
and so I think that that storyline is is kind of an interesting one. Obviously, you have all the storylines with Kyrie and Boston and vaccine status and all that. And I I say bring that on. Like that's that's what makes the playoffs great. I think if we win in that first round against a team like that, you are now ready to beat anybody, including the Phoenix Suns, who are you know historically good this year, and I think by far the the number one team in the entire league. So the you know, if, if you were going to ask about gaming the, the playoff seedings to avoid somebody, I would say you'd want to avoid the, the Phoenix Suns if you're into that at all. Um, but the Nets, I wouldn't. I'm sorry. How do you avoid the Phoenix Suns if you're in the East? You I'm don't. saying if the situation was, was the Phoenix Suns are in the East and like of any team that you would want to avoid, it would be this one that's historically good, not one that's got Kyrie and Durant, who are obviously historically great players, but some dysfunction, a pretty good level of dysfunction on that Brooklyn Nets team. Well, I'm clearly more scared of them than you guys are. All right. Thanks for listening to Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA or at Coach Motenko for Josh. I am not on Twitter. Thank you for listening. You all are a part of Celtics Pride.